Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is September the 5th, and we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. Last time we were together in session number 29, um, we got down through chapter 17, verse number 17. So if you got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter number 17. And just a little bit of review, as you know, Paul had um, came into Thessalonica. And of course, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and he began to teach Christ. And as a result, uh, some uh, some base fellows uh, stirred up uh, uh, a riot against him, ran him, out, ran him out of town. Then he fled into Berea. And, of course, Bereans are famous for being more noble in character than the Thessalonians. And they received the message with great eagerness. But, of course, um, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea. And they went there, too, and agitated the crowds and stirred them up. Sounds like something could be almost modern day, doesn't it? <laughs> it doesn't uh, take much at all to uh, to stir up a a crowd, especially uh, uneducated, ignorant people, and that's exactly what these guys were doing here. So Paul left Athens, I mean uh, Berea, and he goes into Athens, and this is where we pick up our study today, session thirty, through the book of Acts. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you and ask that you go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Um, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So Paul is sitting here in Athens, and he's he's just distressed to see. I'm reading the wrong translation. I knew that didn't sound right. Um, he's uh, His spirit was stirred in him. That was the NIV. He said his, he was distressed, but he was stirred when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. And therefore... He disputed in the synagogue with the Jews, not only with them, with the devout persons, and the market daily with them that met with him. And now, of course, those those devout persons um, were most likely uh, Gentiles, um, I would say proselytes, um, or at least they were really considering pro probably proselyte, excuse me, proselytizing over into Judaism. Either way, they were devout, and they obviously wasn't Jew, so there's only Jews and Gentiles, and with those that were in the market that would meet with him. So he was pretty busy. And then in verse number 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? And others, and others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's preaching caught the attention of, it just says, certain philosophers. 
Now, there were two types here. There was Epicureans and there were Stoics. Epicureans um, were people who followed the basic philosophy of eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. Um, they were followers of Epicurus, his teachings, and he taught ataraxia, which means living with no need and in no distress. Uh, that is basically the philosophy of the West today. Matter of fact, the first article, the Declaration of Independence, contains the phrase, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that is very Epicurean. So the West is founded on Epicurean thought. Um, on the other side were the Stoics. Now the Stoics were exact opposite. They believed that life should be lived with logic and one should not allow themselves to be controlled by their bodily appetites, by the desires for pleasure or the fear of pain. And you can use your mind uh, to overcome the world um, and what's going on in your life. So Epicurean Stoics, and pretty much today, I mean, the West is very Epicurean and the East is still very, very Stoic. Um, some saw Paul, some of these philosophers saw Paul as a babbler. And others saw him as a setter forth of strange gods. It's interesting, the word babbler uh, comes from the word spermologos, which means a seed picker or a gossiper or a trifler in talk. So in other words, he's just running off his mouth. He's just, a, you know, he's just picking things to talk about. He has no rhyme or reason. Uh, but others saw him as a setter forth of strange gods. So they saw him at two different extremes here. And then notice in verse number 19, and they took him and they brought him into the, uh, I, ooh, I messed that up. I always pronounce this wrong. Areopagus, Arapagus. Areopagus, 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 there you go, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? Now, obviously, these are those who felt that he was a setter forth of strange gods, not the babbler folks. Okay, so they took him aside and they said, may we know what this new doctrine wherefore thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know Therefore, what these things mean. So notice that unlike the unbelieving Jews, and even those philosophers that thought uh, he was just a babbler, um, they, want, they genuinely wanted to know. They wanted to know what this new doctrine was. They didn't respond with violence. They, um, you know, they, they just wanted to know. They wanted him to explain what these things mean. Um, and of course, Paul is standing in what is known as Mars Hill. And we're going to see that when we get down into verse number 22. Mars is a reference to the Greek god. Um, it's interesting because it was a prominent rock outcropping that was located north, northwest of the Acropolis in Athens, Greek. And it was thought to be the location of a court that was supposed to have been the site where Ares 
uh, was tried by the gods for the murder of Poseidon's son. So it, it was a place where people gathered to pass judgment. It was a place where people gathered to hear new things. Uh, it was obviously a very academic uh, place, if you will. And then notice in verse number 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So, so their motivation here is to hear some new thing. It's like our culture today. You know, people are always looking for the next new thing. You know, what's the new thing? Um, while, while there's nothing wrong with being willing to listen to, quote, new things, we must ultimately take the evidence that is presented. And, and you know, and that requires energy on our part. Most people don't have it <laughs> to make sure that it's accurate. There's nothing wrong with, as Randy White says, questioning the assumptions. And we have a lot of assumptions in our culture today. Um, our media feeds us assumptions. They don't necessarily feed us facts. You know, they, we throw around words like systemic. You know, we throw around, you know, thoughts that really need to be tested and like I said, most people simply do not have the energy. Um, most people, I believe, are followers. Um, the leaders, leaders, I don't believe they're necessarily born, but they can certainly be made. But most people don't have the time or the energy to be a leader. It's a whole lot easier just to be a follower, just to, just to go along, look at the phone, read the news line, and believe it without thinking. And, and a lot of that comes back to our our education system in the United States. We just, we do not teach our children to reason, to think. Uh, we teach them to, to, to just recite back to us what we've told them to be true. Um, and that is not good. We need to teach our children to think for themselves. We need to teach our children to question things that they are being told. But we live in a society that brags about being tolerant, but it's only tolerant if you agree with what they're saying. They're not very tolerant at all. Um, and you can be tolerant without being in agreement. You know, I tolerate a lot of idiots. You know, I, I tolerate a lot of things uh, that I don't agree with it. Um, I don't necessarily even accept it but I can still, quote, tolerate it. We just don't teach our children anymore to question. And questioning is good. Questioning is good. You know, when I was raising our children, we used to use this curriculum that always taught young parents that you need to teach your ch children the moral imperative. In other words, it's not good enough to just say no. And when the child says why, you say because I said so. That might work. Uh, when they're too young to really understand reason or, 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 or why you're saying what you're saying, the moral imperative. But as they get older, no is not enough. And because you said so is not enough. They need to know why you said no. And eventually they're going to have to embrace your reasoning or they're going to have to reject your reasoning. We have to instill a moral imperative in our children. What's going on in our culture today with these young people burning down cities is a bunch of young people who have never been taught the moral imperative. They are narcissistic. They are 
they are selfish, they are self-serving, they are entitled. Um, they know that whether they burn the city down or not, somebody's going to take care of them. If we don't get our way, it's no different than a child throwing himself down in an aisle in a grocery store and throwing a temper tantrum. That is exactly what this younger generation has been taught to do. And they've been taught it by their parents. They've been taught it by the education system. Something's got to give. I, I have no idea uh, how that's going to give, but trust me, it is going to give eventually. And, um, but anyway, people are always looking for a new thing. And again, nothing wrong with it. You just need to learn to question it. Nothing wrong with questioning things. Eventually, a young person's parents' religion is going to have to become theirs. Um, and that usually happens when they get out of the house or not. Uh, that's when it happens. Uh, it's got to become their belief system. It's got to become their convictions. They're not going to get far if their religious system, their convictions is simply their parents. It's not going to get far because as soon as they get into the college classroom, they're going to kick the legs out from under that. And that's why so many college kids are floundering. That's why so many college kids are just amoral. Um, that's why they start following these Marxist teachings. Uh, they just listen to authority figures uh, just like they did their parents. And they've never learned to question. Nothing wrong with questioning. And that's what these philosophers are doing. Uh, they want to hear some new thing. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with new things. Uh, but they want him to explain it to them. And then notice, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Notice he says too superstitious. In the Greek, if you look at that word too superstitious here in, in verse 22, and you look in the original there, notice it says that word. Notice it's dice a deha monisteros you know so it, it literally the 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 middle word there is demon can you can you see that here right there uh that is speaking of demon uh the word dice is is fearful so it's literally saying fearful of demons um so the compound fearful of demons today we would interpret it to mean simply a reverence for the supernatural. So they had a reverence for the supernatural. And understand, when we're, when we're talking supernatural, there's only two types. <laughs> it's either God or it's demon. It's, it's either godly or it's demonic, one or the other. And Paul here is saying, you guys are just too fearful of demons. You, you show a super reverence for the supernatural to the point of you're, you almost worship it. Uh, is what he's saying there. And as such, notice he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. So he's saying, you guys are too superstitious. I see all of these gods around here. And you're so superstitious, you even have one, just in case you missed one, called the unknown God. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the LGBTQ plus community. The plus means in case we missed one. <laughs> um, so that's what these guys are doing. 
Um, so at, they even worship the unknown God in ignorance because you notice there it says, I see that you do this ignorantly. Okay, agneo. That's where we get the word agnostic. It means in ignorance, you're even worshiping one you don't even know. You don't even know who he is. Um, and so he's basically saying, you obviously acknowledge that you do not know all of the gods. So I'm going to take the opportunity to tell you about the one that you're missing. And that's what Paul is doing here. In verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So interestingly, we're going to see that Paul is not very seeker sensitive, um, nor is he trying to win friends and influence people. Um, he is speaking directly, even offensively, uh, to these Epicureans and these Stoics. Uh, his first point that he makes is God made the world and everything that's in it. Uh, this, of course, offended the Stoics because Stoics are pantheistic. They believe in a pantheon, a plurality of gods, and he is declaring monotheism here. So he's being offensive um, uh, to the Stoics, and he's offending the Epicureans at the same time. He's an equal opportunity offender. Uh, they did not believe in a deity. They were basically what you would call deists. They believe that, that uh, uh, well, they did believe in a deity. They just believed that he was, he was far outside of the realm of man. Um, you remember the clock theory, you know, uh, he just kind of wound it up and just backed off and let it all happen. Um, so, but he's saying here that that he is very much involved in the things of man. So he's offending both the Stoics and the Epicureans. Um, so he offended them by saying, God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. This is offending not only them, but the entire city that was built on these temples. Um, their econ entire economy revolved around these temples that had been made with hands. So, so he's uh, getting off on a good foot there, offending everybody. You know, and, and I've learned a long time ago, just speak the truth and let it fall where it's going to fall. Um, I think we as Christians have, have really just been silenced. Um, we don't have backbone anymore. Uh, we would have been shunned from social media. Uh, conservative, anything with a conservative voice has pretty much been shunned by the conservative media, social media, um, you know, all kinds of media, the written media, the, uh, the filmed media, we have been shunned. And, and as a result, once you get shunned a few times, you start to shut down, you start to stop using the offensive language. And thus we have this bland, um, language that we use that's designed not to offend unbelievers. Well, if unbelievers are never offended, then <laughs> how are they going to know that they're unbelievers? How are they going to know that you and them are different, that you serve the one true living God that made the heavens and the earth? How are they going to know that if you never say anything to call that into question? Again, we've lost our salt 
as one of the Gospels says, we've lost our savor. And salt that has lost its savor is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. Um, we're, we're supposed to rub people. We're supposed to um, um, show people where they're wrong. Uh, very lovingly, of course. And, and I don't do it unless I'm asked. You know, I, I don't publicly debate people on Facebook. If you disagree with me, fine. Private message me, you know, and we can talk about that. But I'm not going to let you and your little cronies jump on, you know, dogpile me on social media. Um, social media has made um, has made us very bold. Uh, we will say things on social media that we probably should be punched in the face for if we said it. Um, to that person's face. Um, so in many ways, social media has created uh, the problems that we're having in our culture uh, today. It's easy to say something behind a camera or uh, behind a screen instead of saying it's some, someone's face. Uh, we need to be willing to offend. But they're not offended at me. They're offended at the God in me. And that's when I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when I take his, his promise that nothing spoken in my name will return void. That's when I speak. And that's what Paul is doing here. Uh, so Paul is saying that this unknown God that you ignorantly worship does not dwell in temples made with hands. Um, and then he goes on and he says, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and we move and we have our being as certain also as your own poets have said for we are his offspring so paul's second point here is that god is very involved in the affairs of man so again he's he's offending the epicureans he's offending the stoics there um, offending both paul declares that god made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth that one blood is a reference to adam we all are descendants of adam that all men came from Adam. And if you, now some of the other translations omit the word blood there, um, but it means the same thing. Um, let's see, in verse uh, 26, uh, right here, has made of one, one blood. Uh, so go back to the KJV, made of one blood. The NAS uh, says... And hath made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. But it means the same thing. We all came from Adam. Uh, and I guess Paul, uh, you know, obviously didn't understand that we were generated by evolution. <laughs> evolution and Christianity do not mix. Uh, if, if you're going to throw out the first... Uh, really several chapters of the book of Genesis, but then turn around and tell me that God sent his only begotten son to die on a cross, uh, you know, to save you from a, from a sinner's hell. 
but you can't believe that God could speak the worlds into existence. Um, theist, we call that theistic evolution in the church. Uh, that's our, our holy name for evolution. See, there is a God and he just kind of, he was the first cause. He pushed the first domino, if you will, and then he allowed evolution to take place. No, that's Christians being shunned by the scientific intellectual community and them responding to it. Uh, that, that started happening, you know, years ago in the Scopes trials, the monkey trials, all that stuff. That's where all that started happening. And Christianity, mainline evangelicalism began to capitulate to that. And it's worked its way into evangelicalism today. I... To be honest with you, do not identify as an evangelical <laughs> at all. I mean, I, I am evangelical, but I don't claim to be an evangelical um, with that movement. I think that movement has really compromised itself with the world, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. They're getting further and further and further from the truth. Once, once compromise moves into your life, once a little bit of cancer moves into your life, it's going to destroy the rest of your life. That's the way it works. My son's a Marine. I was a Marine, and one of the hardest classes that I took was land navigation um, because you know, now they have GPS and they pull it out and they know exactly where they are. Well, when I was younger, um, we had a map and we had a compass, you know, and you would take that compass, you would find true north, you would orientate the north of the map to the north, and then you would set it down, begin looking at terrain, land features, and try to determine where you were on that map. And then once you knew where you were, you could know where you were going. But you got to know where you are before you can know where you want to be. So you would set the compass down and you say, okay, we want to go over there. It's a thousand clicks per grid. This is how long it's going to take if we move at this, this degree, you know. And then you start walking and you'd have a guy up in the front. He had the, he had the, the compass in his hand. He had the map in his hand. You had a guy behind him that we, we were called that we called the pacer, the pace counter. He knew it was whatever a click is a thousand steps. It's six clicks, so six thousand steps. So Private Schmuckatelli in the back is is keeping a count in his head uh, to know if we're getting close. Um, but if the guy in the front gets off. If he takes his eyes off of the compass for a period of time, even though the error is minor initially, the longer he stays on the wrong um, azimuth, that's what we called it, the longer he stayed on the, long, on the wrong trajectory, if you will, the further and further he's getting from where he wants to be. And it doesn't matter how much, how, how accurate the guy in the back is with his counts. Because eventually the guy in the back is going to go, hey, <laughs> we should be here. You know, and you look down at the map, we're not here. Because you took your eyes off the compass. You took your eyes off the map. And that's what's happening in the church today. We are just getting further and further and further from the truth. It didn't seem so bad back here. But now we're way out here now. That's why you have mainstream churches embracing uh, all of these sinful behaviors in our community. Now they're running after social justice. They're, they're becoming social justice. 
God has already made for a way of reconciliation between man and it's called Jesus. Jesus will fix everything you social justice warriors are going out to fix in the flesh. Um, but again, we take our eyes off. We all came from man. Uh, so evolution, theistic evolution, it doesn't mix with scripture at all. Um, God has, notice he says, and God has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. This literally means that God is sovereign over man and his boundaries. The word literally means limit placing or boundary line. That means that man and their habitations have been predetermined. They have a predetermined shelf life. God knows exactly how long they're going to be <laughs> and when they're not going to be. Uh, God has set that. Of course, one only needs to read Daniel chapter number 9 to understand the boundaries of their habitations. God knows uh, the nations. And he goes on to say that this God has done these things so that the nations of men will seek him if happily they might feel after him and find him because he's not very far from every one of us. So he says he, he's in control. He's making himself known so that the nations of men might seek after him and even find him uh, because he's not very far from all of us. He's not. He's not. And again, that's a, that's a, a uh, spit in the eye, if you will, to the deists. Uh, because the deists think God is just way out there. He's not, he's not involved in the affairs of man. And yet Paul is saying, you need to seek him that you might find him because he's not very far from all of us. So he goes on to be culturally relevant by quoting one of their own prophets when he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. This is a quote from a popular point of the day that was written by Eratos. He lived from 315 to 240 BC. And the name of the prose, if you will, was Phenomena, uh, which was a prose that described the constellations. Interesting, it, the interesting thing I found as I studied this guy, Eratos, is that he was from Tarsus in Cilicia, which is the home of Paul. Uh, that's why he was called Paul of Tarsus or Saul of Tarsus. So that might explain why he was so familiar uh, with his work. And he wrote, I took a, just, I found a, uh, a quote from his uh, writing. Let us begin with God, whom we mortals never leave unspoken. For every street, every marketplace is full of God. That's, and that's exactly what Paul, Paul just said. Even the sea and the harbor are full of his deity. Everywhere, everyone is indebted to God, for we are indeed his offspring. So that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's quoting from Eratos, and he's saying we are the offspring of God. And of course, he, he's not saying we're all necessarily the children of God, but we're all descendants of Adam whom God made. So we're all the creation of God. And then notice verse number 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold, silver, stone, graven art of man's device. In other words, um, yes, we are the offspring. We are the creation of God. 
Therefore, we shouldn't fall into idolatry. We should not think that this God can be made out of gold or silver or stone or graven art or of man's device. We shouldn't try to find God through the natural elements of the earth. He is, he is beyond that. And he says, and the times of this ignorance, this agneo, as we talked about, God winked at it, but now commandeth every man to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. So, and the times of ignorance God has winked at. What does he mean by that? He's talking about the times that the Gentiles walked in idolatry. God has winked at this. In other words, uh, it's, it's gone and man was walking in idolatry. They were walking in ignorance. But now God commands every man to repent now that they have received the revelation of the truth. You need to repent. Uh, from the context, obviously, he's talking to Gentiles here because the nation of Israel um, certainly knew the will of God through the writings of God, through God revealing himself to the nation of Israel through the law. Um, so he's, he's not dealing, he's not talking here to, to Jews, he's talking to Gentiles. Um, so he says, but now God commands every man everywhere to repent of this idolatry. And repentance means a changing of your way of thinking, uh, to turn from idols to the Lord of heaven and earth that he began to talk about right here in verse 24. He said, let me tell you who this unknown God is. He is the God who made the world and all things in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. So now that you know this, you need to turn away. And then he tells them why. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in the righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. And of course, he's referring to Jesus, but he doesn't get that far into the conversation in regards to Jesus. He doesn't end up with an altar call, if you will. He doesn't end up showing why the Christ must need suffer. He doesn't get into all that. And of course, I think that just means that Paul was there. He was reasoning with them. He was disputing with them. You don't give it all to them. You don't give both barrels at the same time. I mean, you give them a little bit at a time. I think that's what Paul was doing here. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. And of course, when he said resurrection from the dead, he lost some of them. <laughs> some of them mocked and others said, nah, we'll hear later of this matter. So Paul, Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain of them did cleave unto him and believed, among the whom was Dionysius, Dionysius the, the, Arapagite, the Arapagite, I believe, and the woman named Damaris, Damaris and others with him. So notice that as soon as he mentions the resurrection, he begins to be mocked. Uh, but some did consider it. Um, and understand, the resurrection is the key component of the gospel. It is the key component of the kingdom gospel, because if he had never risen, then the kingdom could have never been offered legitimately. Also under the grace gospel, one must believe in the resurrection to be saved. 
One must believe in order to be saved. The resurrection is essential to both the kingdom and the grace gospel. Paul spoke of this in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, when he said, Now if Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Because if there's no resurrection from the dead um, and Christ has not been raised, uh, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we've testified that we saw him after his resurrection. So that would make us to be false witnesses, to be liars, because we witnessed against God that he raised the Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact he did not raise him. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, guess what? Your faith is worthless. You're wasting your time. Uh, you are still in your sins. And all of those who've fallen asleep died before you, they have perished. Uh, if we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are uh, of all men the most to be uh, pitied if Christ be not risen from the dead. Um, so in regards to those who did believe the grace gospel, um, at this point, uh, these were obviously uh, Gentiles. Uh, these were Gentiles that believed. Uh, among these was Dionysius and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So these were obviously Gentiles, just like uh, the Philippian jailer. Uh, they believed the witness of Paul. Um, and these were saved under the grace gospel, which was only revealed to Paul. And then notice in, in, ch in chapter number 18, um, and after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, it's interesting that Paul didn't get thrown out of Athens <laughs> like he did out of Thessalonica and out of Berea. He left Athens uh, of his own accord and his own timing. Uh, Corinth was just a little south of Athens. It was a very important city. Um, Athens contained all the academics. Corinth was the seat of government. Um, so we're going to discover uh, that Paul had a very long ministry in Corinth. And of course, this is the birth of the Corinthian church uh, that he wrote to in First and Second Corinthians. And we believe that Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians, uh, just listening to the language, uh, as I previously wrote, um, but we don't have anything about that. So obviously there's some letters missing. Uh, that, does, that just means that God didn't desire them to be in the final canon of Scripture. And I'm sure Paul wrote a lot of things that did not make it into the final canon of Scripture. And notice in verse 2, And he found a certain Jew, Aquila, born to Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So here he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and it says they were there because Claudius had kicked them out of Rome. Um, and it says that they were tent makers just like Paul. Um, tent making was a skill. Uh, like everyone, you had a skill that had been passed on from your fathers down to you. It was the trade by which your family 
was known. The trade that Jesus was known for was carpentry. Joseph was a carpenter. And that probably means that Joseph's father was a carpenter and Joseph's grandfather was a carpenter. It's how their family made their living. A lot of our last names today, for example, comes from what our families did, such as Smiths. You know, uh, uh, I joke, my last name is Spearman. So I tell people I come from a long line of, uh, of, uh, of guards, <laughs> uh, called spearmen were people who stood around the castle and protected it. So I come from a long line of security guards. Uh, so this is the first time we're told that Paul was a tent maker. Uh, again, it was something that was passed down to him from his father. The Jews have a proverb that says, he that teaches not his son a trade is as if he taught him to be a thief. And there's no doubt that I believe our younger generation, I believe when they pulled trade out, when they pulled shop out of secondary education, it was a, it was a huge mistake. Um, you know, people get mad at me because I do spend a lot of time on university campuses. And I believe that the universities is the cancer of our nation right now. I strongly believe that. Uh, we raise our children in our, in our homes, we protect them, we teach them, uh, we are Christians, we are you know conservative in nature, and then we turn around and we send our child, our precious little one, to this not only godless, but anti-God state institutions for them to be reprogrammed. And they are learning cultural Marxism, um, they are learning social justice, uh, they are being taught everything contrary to what we taught them in our homes. Why would we pay for that? Why would we do that? I believe the colleges are not going to be transformed overnight. If you're going to send your child to a college, you need, number one, about, I, I personally believe about 80% of children who go to college shouldn't even go. If they should be if you're going to be a mechanic, HVAC tech, a diesel mechanic, you know, uh, you don't need to go to college. You need to go to a trade school. And it'd be nice if we taught that at that level. But, but we have junior colleges. We have trade schools. That's where they need to go. Um, college, vast majority of them don't even belong there. And it, it's, it, it causes more harm than it does good. I think I, I read a, I was at a professional development forum couple of years ago, and they said something like, I think it was 67% of college graduates don't know anything, don't know any more than they knew when they graduated from high school um, because they've been dumbed down because it's become a, uh, it's become a money maker. Uh, you got to get them through because if it fell out, you're not going to get their money. So you got to make them pass. Um, and, and again, there's so much government money tied to these schools. Um, uh, I could teach a seminar on that one. Um, but we need to get back to trade schools. We need to teach our children to work with their hands. And that's what Paul did. Aquila and Priscilla, they made tents, uh, probably for shepherds. Uh, began, bear in mind, people in the me Middle East were very nomadic uh, and soldiers alike. Uh, today, we use the term to refer to someone who's bivocational, someone who doesn't make a 
full-time living off of ministry, but they have to do something else to supplement their income. We call those people um, tent makers. And then notice verse number four, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So again, we find him in the synagogue every Sabbath persuading the Jews and the Greeks. Um, and I got into this. Why does the church worship on Sunday and not Saturday? Uh, clearly, the Jews worship on Saturday. Uh, the commandment was that they should worship on Saturday. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual perpetual covenant. So why does the Jew, why, do, why does the church worship on Sunday? Well, the Sabbath commemorates God's creation, God's provision, and it was given to Israel under the law. Number one, we are not Israel. Number two, we are not under the law. Okay. Sunday, on the other hand, commemorates grace in that Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday, and it was the day that the early church gathered. Um, so we know in Luke 24, 21, and upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher and he was gone. And then Paul writing to the Corinthians says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The early church met on Sunday. Why? To commemorate the new life, the, the, the resurrection from the dead. Uh, the first commemorates, the Sabbath commemorates God's creation, while Sunday commemorates the Lord's resurrection. So we, as the body of Christ, meet on Sunday. Um, Kevin Sadler, I, I read a lot of his work, very good Bible teacher, wrote, The Sabbath speaks of rest after work and relates to the law and the work required by those under the law in law keeping. With the works, observation of their feasts, the sacrifices that Israel was commanded to do continually by faith. Faith is an element of both. The Sabbath foreshadows the rest that Israel will enjoy, yet future tense, during her millennial rest within the earthly kingdom. So Israel is looking forward to her rest. On the other hand, the church, we're already in our rest. He is our rest. Sunday worship on the first day of the week speaks to a rest that takes place before work and relates to grace and the rest that we, the body of Christ, have in Christ. It's already finished. We're not looking forward to it. We're already walking in it, is what he says there. So again, we see that Paul tried, Paul's tried and true method was to reason and persuade. And that's all you and I can do today. Uh, some will listen today, some will listen tomorrow, and some may never listen. But you know what? I'm not responsible for the way they respond. I'm only responsible for doing my part. And that's all you're responsible for. I don't sense any rejection when someone doesn't want to hear what I have to say. I don't experience any rejection at all because they're not rejecting me. Uh, they're rejecting him. Then notice in verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come to Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So now 
uh, Silas and Timothy catch up. You remember he had left them back in Berea, and now they catch up with him here in Athens or in Corinth. And as such, it says Paul was pressed in the spirit. Now, the KJV does not capitalize the word spirit. The New King James does. However, none of the other translations even use the word spirit. But in, the, but in the end, it means the same thing. It's just saying that he was pressed, he was encouraged to teach the word of God. And, you know, and that's the same thing with you and me. As I see our world literally going to hell in a handbasket, as I see our nation just literally imploding on itself, I realize that the problem is not social injustice. It's not racial reconciliation that we need. We need Jesus we need Jesus. Our pulpits, our churches have gone silent. Our churches have sold out for the most part. You know, I heard the old expression, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with a boat in the water. A boat is fine in the water as long as the water doesn't come into the boat. And the problem is the water has come into the boat. The world has come into the church. And we're no longer teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection anymore. We're, we're focusing on other things now. Social justice is not compatible with Christianity. It's not compatible with Christianity. And then notice verse number six. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Now, this is the first time that we see Paul purposely abandoning the synagogue. Um, but... It wasn't permanent. He still continued to go to the synagogue, but he was through with this one in Corinth. <laughs> he walks away and he says, you know what? You're opposing yourselves. I'm trying to give you truth. You're rejecting it. When someone rejects the truth, they are opposing themselves. They are blaspheming. In other words, they are pushing away truth. And therefore, he shook his raiment, which was a Middle Eastern way of saying, I'm through with you. I don't even want the dust of you on me anymore. Uh, your blood be upon your own heads. In other words, your judgment is your fault. Uh, I'm clean. I've done my best. I've done my part. From henceforth, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God and whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Now, obviously, this means he was literally next door to the synagogue, pressed hard to the synagogue. Some would say even shared the same wall with the synagogue. But we do know that he was a Gentile and he worshiped God, but he had apparently not converted to Judaism. But it says that he worshiped God, um, this guy named Justice, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So this is the birth of the Corinthian church. So anyway, well, that's uh, that wraps up everything we've covered Tuesday through Friday. Uh, this is being pre-recorded because I am headed out of town early Sunday morning. I hope you enjoy this study. And uh, I'll be back with you Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. And just bear in mind, not only are these on Facebook, um, but they're also on YouTube. Uh, the audio rec recordings are placed on SoundCloud. And then I put the notes into my blog, 
that can be found at dwaynespearman.org with links to the audio and the video recordings as well. So, well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great Lord's Day. Remember that he loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for our good.